Esher Koach, Rob, and Sammy. Thank you for your teachings. Rob, given that the Passover ritual is described for the first time in our Parsha and imagines a future where Jews are free, you asked, what was life like once the people were free? How did they go forward from there? It's a question I've been asking myself about the Jewish people in this time, during the dramatic and devastating events of our generation that you just spoke about. How do we go forward from here? Fifteen weeks after October 7th, the war is still going on, and people are still dying. Israelis are still terrified, wounded, and mourning, and facing signs of a wider, a wider war on all sides. 24,000 Palestinians have been killed, and the Israeli government estimates that only about 8,000 of those were combatants. Two million Palestinian people are starving, homeless, and in danger of famine. And more than 100 Israelis are still languishing, undergoing who knows what torture in Hamas's massive labyrinth of underground tunnels. Meanwhile, American Jews are isolated, shocked at the degree and the ferocity of the anti-Semitism that has been laid bare in this country and by the polarization that has divided almost everyone into two camps, for Palestine against Israel, or for Israel against Palestine. Since October 7th, week after week, over the course of 12 sermons, I've called upon all of us to reject that binary thinking. I've acknowledged that as Jewish people, many of us have family in Israel and our family with Israel. And it is natural for us to grieve and care first and most about our own family. And I've also urged us to remember that two peoples live in the land and there is no future of safety or freedom or peace that denies either one of them their history or their home or their humanity or their right to govern themselves. I've urgently called on Hamas to release the hostages and on the Israeli and the United States governments to do everything in their power to protect innocent Palestinian lives and bring the hostages home. At the end of December and again last week at the vigil marking 100 days of captivity, I called for an immediate prioritization of the return of the hostages and immediate negotiations for an end to the war. And I continue to make that call now. As the New York Times reported just this morning, four senior Israeli military leaders are now saying that the twin goals of freeing the hostages and eradicating Hamas are incompatible. With 450 miles of tunnels operating at multiple depths and 5,700 shafts connecting to the surface, Gaza has proven to be a quagmire. Continuing to fight will only lead to more deaths, including the deaths of the hostages. God forbid. Gadi Eisenkot, a member of the War Cabinet who used to be the IDF Chief of Staff, said publicly on Thursday, for me there's no dilemma. The mission is to rescue civilians ahead of killing an enemy. Netanyahu's refusal to consider a Palestinian state is making matters worse. 
According to the Times, three senior IDF officials said that they cannot go into Rafah, Gaza's southernmost city where Hamas's leadership is most likely now hiding without coordination with Egypt. But Egypt will not coordinate unless Israel will talk about the post-war plan, including the question of a Palestinian state. We now have very clear evidence from the leaders of the Israeli Defense Forces that the right-wing politics of this government are both stymieing the effort to defeat Hamas and endangering the lives of the hostages, not to mention causing an extreme humanitarian crisis for two million people. The darkness is real. And not only over there, also right here. Sammy, you talked about the plague of darkness and you talked about Pharaoh's hard heart. Before I go on, I need to disagree with the way you ended your Devar Torah, in which you imagined that God might have done the same thing that Pharaoh did, and we shouldn't judge Pharaoh too harshly. Our tradition understands this story as asserting that our God is a God of freedom, who we don't have to judge from our time, from that time, utterly opposed what Pharaoh did, stood against everything Pharaoh stood for, and stood against all forms of oppression. Now, you argue that God should not have hardened Pharaoh's heart, and I think that is an excellent argument, and I agree with you there, and that the plague of darkness was only possible because of Pharaoh's hard heart. The plague of darkness is an excellent metaphor for us right now. In the Torah, Exodus 10, 23, it says, Lo ra'u ish et achiv, velo kamu ish mitachtav explaining that the darkness was so severe that no person could see his brother, nor could they get up from where they were seated. It was a darkness caused by a hard heart. It was a darkness in which the average person could not see his brother or her sister or their sibling. It was a darkness in which a person could not get up. The Hasidic masters tell us that the true problem of Mitzrayim was the exile of awareness in Hebrew da'at, Dot is awareness of God's presence within every living thing. And we are now in a time when people celebrate the death of innocence and are indifferent to the deaths and captivity of innocence. Regarding this week's Parsha, Orhai Meir writes that when awareness is lacking, there is great darkness. Orhai Meir continues, Scripture tells us what this darkness is. People did not see their brothers. They didn't consider them. They didn't take to heart how much they could learn from the goodness of the people around them. This led them to walk about in darkness and to see no light. People like that cannot progress from one rung to the next. No person could rise from where he was seated. So many of us in this time feel that we cannot see each other or be seen by each other. For many Jews... I know it sometimes makes us want to close off from the people around us, to isolate from non-Jews who think, who we think won't understand, don't understand, or from Jews on the right of us or on the left of us or both who we think might not agree with us. It makes us want to hide and close off and protect ourselves so that we won't get hurt if others aren't considering our feelings or our full humanity. I know that there are people I have not called people I have not spoken to since October 7th because I am afraid of hearing what they will say. I am afraid that they don't care what happens to Jews or that they're okay with my people dying 
and that they've got us cast only as the bad guys, that they don't see any goodness in us anymore. And I think that for many of us, it's making us unable to metaphorically get up from October 7th to get out there into our diverse communities to figure out how to go forward in this society. It's going to take an incredible amount of courage to make those phone calls and have those conversations and start starting with the courage not to assume that we know what any other person thinks. To remember that there are no monoliths and an experience of hate or bigotry or bias or hard-heartedness or indifference with one person does not mean that the next person will feel or behave similarly. Now, it is clearly not our job to be friends with people who don't care whether we live or die. But there are a lot of people out there who may have more nuanced perspectives, who do, who do still have the capacity to see us, people with whom we can start a conversation. Last weekend, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, about 25 members of CBE got on a bus with about 25 members of Antioch Baptist Church, the Black Baptist Church that we've been partnering with for the last three years, to travel down to Washington, D.C. together to visit the African American History Museum and the Holocaust Museum together, as well as the Lincoln Memorial and the King Memorial, so that we could talk clearly and directly to each other about racism and anti-Semitism, so that we could better understand each other's histories and each other's pain, so that we could better walk forward together to address racism and anti-Semitism in Brooklyn and in our country. Now, our partnership up until last weekend, it has not been easy. Some of you know that. Painful things have been said and done. And there were times when we did not know whether we'd even make it to this day. But we kept at it. And little by little, we are knowing and seeing each other in our goodness. It was a beautiful, beautiful trip at a time when we otherwise, as Jews, might feel so very alone. It's time now for us to find the courage to consider all forms of old and new partnerships, friendships, relationships, coalitions with Jews and non-Jews. None of them are going to be perfect. All of them are likely to include pain or at least discomfort. But we have to open ourselves to them because we are a tiny people. Our society needs a reckoning. And we've got to be part of that reckoning. And we cannot go it alone. So even in this incredibly dark time, let us not give up on other people, just as we hope that they will not give up on us. Let us strive to see our sisters and our brothers and our siblings even through the darkness so that we can get up from October 7th, so that we can start to move forward together. Shabbat Shalom.